Colossians 3. We've been working through Colossians. The light, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, where we are now, Paul is speaking very specifically about behavior. And we said this last week. I'll restate this week just so we're all on the same page. Uh, for some, there's this image of Christianity that we have to do all of these things which then make us acceptable to God. We kind of have to take a bath with our, to get off the bad stuff, do some good stuff, and then God will accept us into his family. That is not Christianity. You'll find that in most other major religions in the world. You won't find that in the gospel. Christianity is we're a mess, but God loves us and he has chosen us. He's welcomed us into his family. And once we say yes to his son, once we say yes to Jesus, then we're accepted. And out of that acceptance comes new behavior. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, when we connect with him through faith, our status before God changes. We talked about this last week. We're chosen, we're holy, and we're dearly loved. And our hearts changed. We're new creations, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We're no longer slaves to sin. We actually have the ability, after we've connected to Jesus through faith, to choose right, to be obedient, to follow after the Lord. And so what Paul is saying in all of these very specific instructions, the assumption is you've first already been connected to Jesus. And then all of this is coming out of that. It's a response to what he's done. We live out of our hearts. We say that all the time. And until your heart, until you're given a new heart, you're not going to be able to do anything other than rebel against the Lord or live out of your own brokenness. And when we come to Jesus by faith, we're made new, which then allows us to obey and follow him. So don't hear me saying, do this, do this, do this, do that. That's not it. The assumption is connect to Jesus first. If you're not there yet, then don't try this. It's just going to make you miserable. You're going to be on this performance treadmill with the Lord, and you're going to wear out at some point. That's not what we're talking about. Connect with him first relationally. Receive the acceptance that he offers. He's saying, i got a seat for you right here at the table. All you have to do is pull up the chair. That's it. And once you've done that, then with this new status and this new heart, then you can begin to obey the Lord. So that's the background for all of this. Starting in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. This idea of ruling in your heart, that really has to do... The picture there is of an umpire or a referee. What Paul is saying is let peace be in charge or control your heart. And he's not talking about peace in difficult circumstances. There are other places in the New Testament that talk about the peace of Christ in relationship to difficult circumstances and you know storms in life and he calms the seas and all that. That's true. That's just not here. What Paul is talking about is in interpersonal relationships. We closed last week with this forgive one another whatever complaint you have against somebody or bear with one another, put up with one another and love one another, do what's best for them, regardless of the personal cost to you. So Paul's just given some pretty strong instructions on how we're supposed to treat one another in the family of God, love one another, bear with one another and forgive one another. And he's saying, if you've ever been in a situation like that with someone that you've been long term bearing with, you've been putting up with their stuff for a long time. You keep forgiving them for the same thing 
over and over again, and you're trying to love them. If you've been in one of those situations with a kid or a parent, spouse, coworker, friend, it's a long-term relationship. You know how difficult it is to let the peace of Jesus rule in your heart. What's easy, the temptation, is to sit them down and tell them what's going on. What's the temptation, what the easy thing is to, you know, you kind of take them out to the woodshed. We talked last week about the, 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 the perp of speaking truth in love. And when you're with somebody for a long time, you get so frustrated, the love part kind of falls away and it's just the truth that's left. And hopefully it, it's a two by four to their head. And there's the temptation there to do that with people. It's easy to get frustrated with folks. It's easy to feel like when people are stuck in quicksand and you've pulled them out repeatedly to say, for the love, I'm done. And what he's saying here is, let the peace of Christ rule. It's a passive thing. It's not, you don't have to do anything. You have to let the peace of Christ rule. You don't have to make it rule. You don't have to force it to rule. You let it rule. And so kind of the picture there to me is that's just, just let go. For some of us in relationships, we squeeze the life out of them. There's somebody in your life, and you love them, and you want what's best for them, and you're squeezing as hard as you can. If you ever squeezed a bar of soap, you know what happens? It flies out of your hand, and it lands on your toe, and it hurts. That's what some of you are doing in these relationships. You are, this thing that you want so much, you are strangling because you're squeezing so hard. And the picture here is just let go. Let the peace of Christ choose harmony. Choose peace, even over the need to be right at times. And for some of you, that's not sitting right. We'll get to the other side of it here in a second. Just know for now, that's what we're talking about. Why? Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So the picture there is we're all one body here, not just Stonebridge, but the body of Christ, the wider body of Christ. There's one body, and we were called to peace. And when we fight with each other, when there's divisions among us. We're not recognizing what we talked about last week in verse 11. There are no divisions. There's no racial divisions. There are no economic divisions. There are no class divisions in the body of Christ. Jesus has broken down all of those walls. And when we choose dissension or division or arguing with one another, it's like an autoimmune disease. We're attacking, cannibalizing ourselves. We can't accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. We talk all the time about Psalm 139. God's created you, he knit you together, and you're this wonderfully made person. In Ephesians 2.10, and he has these works that he's created for you, and they fit together like a hand in a glove. Who you are and what you do, they go together. Because the same guy created both. The same guy that forms you also created this life for you to live, and it's a hand in a glove. And that's 100% true of every man and woman, and boy and girl in this room. Totally true. And it's also equally true that there are things for us corporately to do. There are things for us corporately as Stonebridge that he wants us to do. There's a reason we're here. We've got to figure that out and do it. There's a reason for this downtown body of Christ that there's six churches within half a mile of one another. When I think of the downtown body of Christ, I think of us and First Methodist and First Pres and First Baptist and St. James and Mount Zion. And if you think about just that little, just that handful of churches in light of this verse. It's not happening. There's, not, there's no, nobody's actively looking to undermine anybody else. We absolutely aren't doing anything together. There's no unity among us. There's division by default. And that's easy to happen. That happens very easily. 
Again, it's not division intentionally. We're tearing them down and they're tearing us down. It's by neglect almost because we're not intentionally looking to come together and say, why has God put all of us here? Surely, what does he want to do on this square? What does he want to do in this community? And why are we here? Is there some way for us all to function together as a body of Christ? When he looks at the body of Christ in downtown Marietta, he doesn't see the walls of our buildings. He just sees us. But we don't see that. We're missing that. I encourage you, if you pray for our church, pray for that. Pray for a stirring of the body of Christ in downtown Marietta. I don't know what that means for me as the pastor. I don't know what means what that means for you as people in this church, but it means something for us. Just begin to pray that God would kind of allow us to see that those walls don't exist anymore and to begin to function together as a body. So uh, Romans twelve eighteen says this, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One more time, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's a passive side of peace. You let the peace of Christ dwell in you. You just relax, choose not to fight, choose harmony. There's also an active side to maintaining peace or reconciliation in relationships. And you see it here in Romans 12, 18. Um, there's a set of expectations there. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Paul's expanded the borders. It's not just within the family of God. Now it's with everybody. There's no reason that two Christians should not be reconciled to one another. If I'm doing as much as I can, if I'm saying I'm doing uh, as far as it's as much as possible, as far as it depends on me, I'm living at peace with you. And you're saying, well, as much as it depends on me, I'm living at peace with you. Well, then we shouldn't have any issues with that. But there will be times, particularly with people outside of the faith, where it might be difficult to maintain that. And so what Paul's also doing is setting responsibilities here. There's a limit. And depending on your tendency, you need to read this in two different ways. What he's saying is do everything you can, but only do what you can. For some of us, we tend to cut and run. And what Paul is saying to us is, as much as it depends on you, do everything you can do to maintain peace in these relationships. For some of us, there's a clock in our head. Whether For some people, it's you get 30 days or you get six months. There's a timer, and it's running. And when we're done with you, we're done with you. We'll bear with you for only so long. We'll forgive you only so many times. We're going to love you only so much, and then we're done. If you're going to wallow in whatever you're wallowing in, that's fine, but you're not going to get me dirty forever. At some point, I'm going to cut you off. And I'm going to leave and go over here. And what Paul would say to me, you need to expand the fence. You need to extend the fence a little bit. As much as it depends on you, I, much as it depends on me, I need to live at peace with everyone, Christian or not. I can't cut and run anymore. And that some of you are the other way. You feel 100% responsible for all of your relationships. You know there's somebody else involved, but for whatever reason, you think you're responsible for them too. And so you have this burden to fix everything. And if there's anything going on, you feel like it's your responsibility to make it right. And what, what Paul is saying to you is realize there's a fence there. There's another person involved. They have free will. You can't make them think. You can't make them believe. You can't make them act in any particular... Even if they're your kids, you can't control them to that level. You have to recognize you can only do what you can do, and there's a limit to that. And then they have to do what they're going to do. So as much as it depends on you, that, that draws a line in the sand. Don't give up too early for people who cut and run, but also for others who tend to be who, who, who tend to think, 
I'm 100% responsible for this, realize that you're not. It's a two-way street. All you can do is what you can. They're going to respond however they're going to respond, and that's not your responsibility, ultimately. That's between them and the Lord. So we, I need to say, I'm doing everything I can to live at peace with everybody. But that doesn't mean I'm going to live at peace with everybody. There's going to be some folks I don't live at peace with. And ideally, it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of it's something with them. That's kind of the picture here that Paul is giving. As, much, as far as it's your responsibility, live at peace. And be thankful. Reminds us of our attitude. The picture there being thankful, it's, it's a command. Remember that somebody's done something for you and thank them for it. Remember somebody's done you a favor. God's grace is his unmerited favor. And it reminds us that everything we do is in response to something he's done. And the bigger context, again, is these interpersonal relationships, which at this point are difficult. Bear with, forgive, love. Oh, and by the way, choose to let peace rule in your heart. Don't give in to the temptation to always have to be right. Don't give in to division. Don't cut and run. Let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. Oftentimes, God uses other people to sandpaper to form us and to shape us. And it's pretty easy for us to look at people in our life and decide who's sandpaper. But we need to realize we're sandpaper too. There's, you are, as wonderful as you are, to somebody else, you're a little bit irritating. When you do it, it's a quirk. When they do it, it's a fault. It's the same thing. And what Paul's saying is be thankful. Remember, whatever's good in you is because God has done it in you. Just like them. And the areas where we're weak, those are areas we all have them, and they're areas where we all need to grow. And just like you might be sandpaper for me in some area of my life, I've need to remember, I'm probably sandpaper to you as well. As difficult as that is for me to grasp. And that's, we all, that's part of being thankful. It's remembering where we are relative to God and one another. None of us have arrived. None of us are there yet. Nobody is perfect in this room. None of us are. There's growth until we die. And so we need to recognize that, keep that in mind as we're dealing with one another. For some of us, we have a tendency to cut, again, to cut people off. Sometimes it's based on our experience. Well, I've been down that road before, so I'm going to cut you off and tell you what you need to do. That's not being thankful. Some of us tend to manipulate others. We can see clearly where they need to go. And so we want to arrange things so they wind up there. That's not being thankful. Some of us, maybe you know the Bible really well, or you're a trained in counseling or something like that, and you feel like you're an expert in some area. And so you want to deliver that information to somebody. And sometimes it comes across as self-righteous. That's not being thankful. That's sitting up here above other people. That's not letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. For all of us, we need to recognize, again, who we are. We're all on this road together. So what do you do? I was thinking about this um, this morning. So what do you do when you see somebody? There's black and white issues. If it's black and white, that's a separate category. There's this massive spectrum of gray. We've said that there needs to be freedom for people to 
do what God leads them to do. Paul talks about just being kind of uh, your own conscience as your guide. What can you do in faith? So what's our responsibility when we see somebody? It's in this gray area, and we think, that's a train wreck. I can see it happening. How do I respond to them? And this is a prayer I pray, and you might think I'm a sissy. That's okay. This is what I pray. It's not in the Bible. just me. God, if there's something you want him to see, you open his eyes to that. And if it's the same thing that I see, I'm available anytime you need me to, to deliver this message. And I start looking for green lights and red lights. I hate circumstantial signs. I think they are 100% easy to misread. I think God wants you to walk past open doors and kick down closed doors all the time. But when it comes to relationships, if I'm going to choose peace, to me, green lights and red lights are massively important. And you've done this. You've tried to tell somebody something that was 100% true at the wrong time. And it is banging your head against a wall. And there have been other times where you've told somebody the same thing and they were receptive and the conversation was completely different. That's what you're looking for. God knows what he's doing in people's hearts. He knows when they're ready to hear something. And you want to look for those green lights to be willing to say what you see. But you don't say it until you have the green light. This is me. You don't say it until you have the green light to do so. Some people don't forget the things that you say. And you want to make sure. You can't unsay it. It's like you can't unring a bell. You can always ring it, but you can never unring it. And the same thing is true with the stuff you say. Once it's out there, it's out there. You can't pull it. You can't shove it back in your mouth. You can always say it later. So my tendency is to say, until I'm sure that this is a conversation that we need to have, we have the relationship to do it, and I'm seeing this clearly. I'm not going to have it with you. And I would just, again, that might make me a sissy, but I would encourage y'all to at least think through that in terms of this idea of choosing peace in relationships, being thankful and recognizing there's a massive gray spectrum where most of us spend most of our time. I'm not talking about black and white issues. This isn't somebody cheating on their spouse. This is the gray in between where a lot of us tend to focus and spend a lot of our time. Next, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ, when I think about that, I think the message of Jesus, the words of the gospel, dwell in you richly, abundantly as you teach. That's convey positive truth and admonish. That's correct, usually with the word of warning. One another with all wisdom. Wisdom is uh, seeing reality, seeing the true nature of things. So the picture here, again, for some of you, this whole peace thing, you think, does that just mean I put my head in the sand? When I see somebody living in a way that's obviously not helpful, borderline, maybe immoral, it's against, what am I, am I just supposed to keep my mouth shut for the sake of peace? That's denial. That's not peace. You see here, Paul's expectation, same, I mean, next breath. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and let the words of Christ dwell in your heart. So when you're talking to people, what's coming out of you is what's in your heart. And that's where the message of Christ is supposed to dwell. The words of Jesus are supposed to be in here. So when you're interacting with folks, that's what's coming out of you. Jesus says very clearly, what, comes, what we say comes out of our hearts. And if in your heart is the message of Christ, the words of Jesus, doesn't mean you're quoting the Bible all the time. 
means you understand who he is and what he's doing. That's what's coming out of you. And there'll be times where you'll teach, where you'll just tell somebody, hey, this is the thing. And there'll be other times where you need to admonish, where you need to say, listen, you've missed it right here. Again, you know this. People will let anyone teach them. You put a string of letters after your name, you get successful in something, everybody wants to listen to what you have to say. Most people have two or three people they will let admonish them. That's it. It doesn't matter how many letters you have after your name. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. The only thing they want to know is, do you love me? Do you have the status in my life to tell me where I'm missing it? For most folks, it's a small handful of people who they're willing to say, yes, you can correct me in these areas where I'm wrong. That's why we talk so much about developing these life-giving relationships. The, The implication here from Paul is you're in those relationships. So then you can do this with one another. You can be someone to someone else who can teach them. Anybody can do that and admonish them. A handful of people can do that. I'd encourage you to think through who can do that in your own life. Who are you willing to let correct you? And is there anyone who you know you have that status with them that you can bring correction to them? And if you have that level of relationship, does the word of Jesus dwell in you so when the opportunity presents itself, you actually have something to say? other than your opinion or what you saw in Oprah last week? Do you actually have something to bring to the table that's based on wisdom, the true nature of things? As Isaiah 11 and Ephesians 1 says, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. Very explicit connection there. 1 Corinthians 2, I think it's 11, says, who knows the mind of God except the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? John 16, I think 33, says, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So if you smash all those verses together, if we want wisdom, if we want to know the true nature of things, we need to be connected to the Lord by His Spirit. He's the one that will show us. That's why when I pray that prayer, God, this is what I see in His life. But if He needs to see it, you open His eyes. What I'm trying to say there is I know I have a perspective. I have a bias. I'm prejudiced. I have a limited understanding. This is what I see from where, I'm, from where I'm sitting. If it's what he needs to see, then you open his eyes to that. And I'll be willing to tell him if I'm on the mark. But just in case I'm not, I'm going to stay back here until you give me the green light. What I'm trying to do there is say, I don't want to just give you my opinion. I don't want to give you my interpretation. I don't want to give you my perspective. As wonderful as I think all of those things are, I think I'm always right. So, and so do you. That's why we give people our opinions. But what I'm trying to do is pull back and say, in case I'm wrong this time, in case I've missed it, I don't want to, I don't want to step out there yet. If it's not true wisdom, if it's not from the Lord, if it's just from me, it can just stay with me. So anyway, you get that. Psalms, those are old, just real quick. With all wisdom, as you sing psalms, those are Old Testament psalms. Hymns, those are songs written in praise to God. Spiritual songs, those were most likely spontaneous songs that people sung when they were in worship together. Do all that with gratitude in your hearts to God. So the picture there is whether I'm talking to, whether we're talking to one another, teaching and admonishing, or we're talking to God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Either way, we want the source to be the message of Jesus. We want the words of Jesus to be in us so they're coming out of us when we're talking to one another and when we're talking to him. We've said this before, this is not about intellectual uh, understanding. It's not about how much of the Bible you've got memorized or whether you can pass a Bible competency exam. There's a couple of places in Deuteronomy and a couple of places in Joshua where 
Joshua and Moses say to the people what God wants from you. He wants you to walk in His ways. He doesn't just want you to know the law. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to do it. Y'all have heard this passage before in James 1. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he, is, in what he does. You see the difference there. We don't just want to be people who know the Bible here. We want to be people who live it. When you live it, that means it's coming out of your heart. We live out of our hearts. And so you can tell, does the word of Christ dwell in me? I would say, look at your life. Does it reflect the teaching in here? Do you look like Jesus in the way that you're living, the way you're treating other folks, all of that stuff. If the answer is yes, then it dwells within you, whether you can quote it or not. And if the answer is no, then it doesn't live within you, whether you can quote it or not. You get that. Back to Colossians 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, that's a massive, all-encompassing statement. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it as one of his representatives. Do it with his character and his nature and his priorities in mind. Giving thanks. Can you thank God for whatever it is that you're saying or doing? I don't want to do a lot with that other than this. My challenge to you this week. You can have Labor Day off. So Tuesday through Friday. Take Colossians 3.17 and lay it on top of your life. Not every part of your life it will short circuit you. But take one aspect of your life, lay Colossians 3.17 on top of it, and ask yourself, am I doing whatever it is I'm saying and doing as a representative in the name of Jesus? Can I thank God for what I'm saying and doing? And my challenge to you would be to look at your job. Whatever it is that you do from 8 to 5 or 7 to 7, whatever your hours are. For many of us, we've disconnected our work from our faith. We don't see a straight line between what we do to put food on the table and who we are in terms of who God has made us. And we talk all the time about our deals, and for some of you, your deal is not your job. And so you may have said, well, that's separate. But reality is you're spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week over here. And if it's completely disconnected from your faith, think of how much time you're losing in terms of the Lord working in your heart or working through you. And so my challenge, encouragement to you this week. Lay your commute. Lay Colossians 3.17 on top of that. Lay it on top of closing the deal. Lay it on top of working with your co-workers or going out to get business or inputting whatever you input into whatever you input it into. Lay that verse on top of that. Can I do this? What I'm doing? Building, driving this nail, fixing this car, can I do that as a representative of Jesus? What would it look like for me to turn this wrench as a representative of Jesus? What would it look like for me to teach this class as a representative of Jesus? What would it look like for me to sign this contract as a representative of Jesus? Some of you, you stay home with your children. Same thing, lay it on top. What would it look like for me to clean up these smashed English peas off the floor again? as a representative of Jesus? What would it look like for me to wipe the nose again? For me to run carpet? What would it look like 
if I were to see what I'm doing with my life, your 8 to 5 life as a representative of Jesus, volunteering, homeschooling, whatever it is that fills the bulk of your day, your job, you know what I'm talking about. Lay this on top. Ask the Lord, is there some way for me to thank you for sitting in traffic? Is there some way that I can thank you for the opportunity to meet with this gripey customer again? Is there, if you'll lay this verse on top of you, it will change your life. We just start with work. We'll deal with the other stuff later. Just start with work. Lay the verse on top. See what happens. It's four days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. See if it changes your perspective on what you're doing. Otherwise, we have this massive hole in our schedule where God doesn't have It's like he's, it's the, we're in a cave where we can't connect with him. He's not doing anything in our heart. He's not doing anything through us. We're just punching a clock trying to get through the day to either give the kid to your husband or wife when they get home or to get a paycheck at the end of the week. And that's not, that's not the thing for any of us. Let's pray. All right, we're going to do this. There are kind of four main instructions here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Be thankful. That's number two. Number three, let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. And number four, whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus. I want you to grab onto the one that you feel like you need to work on the most. What's the one that you say, yeah, that's me? I'm going to ask you to do this. We're just going to go through them one at a time. And whichever one is you, I want you to stand up. And the people around you are just going to pray for you. You don't have to explain your situation. You just stand up, and I'll pray for you from the front. We'll just have some people lay hands on you uh, from where they're sitting and, and, and pray quietly for you. And then we'll move into communion and worship. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. If that's you, if you're like, I need that, I want you to stand up. Perfect. The rest of you need to open your eyes so you can see who's standing up. Now put your hand on their shoulders. And y'all just start praying for them quietly. God, our prayer for these men and women who've stood up is that your peace would fill their hearts even now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would communicate your peace to them in a way that they would understand. If they're squeezing too tight in relationships, God, I pray that they would just, in their hearts now, just let those people go. Let those situations go. Trust you to hold all of that stuff together. Trust you to fix whatever is broken. God, I pray when the temptation comes to cut and run, when the temptation comes to be right, tell somebody how it really is, God, I pray that in those moments, they would choose your peace. They would choose to allow your peace to be the referee, to be the umpire, to be in control of their heart. And these relationships, which up to this point have been a source of frustration, they've been an emotional drain. Maybe they're not even answering the calls from these people anymore. God, I pray that you would turn those relationships around. 
And what has been frustration, I pray, would be joy again. In Jesus' name. You guys can have a seat. If your thing is thankful, if that's the one for you, you want to grab onto. Stand up. Wonderful. Everybody else in here is awesomely thankful, apparently. Y'all gather around these folks. We want to pray for them. Lord, our prayer for these uh, folks who are standing is that you would um, well up in their heart gratitude. God, I pray maybe at the beginning it's going to be discipline, forcing themselves to be thankful in the midst of the circumstances that they're in. But God, our prayer is that over time it will become spontaneous, that you would give them a picture, a perspective on their circumstances, an eternal perspective, and they would see that what looks like a detour, Joseph, it looks like a multi-year detour oftentimes is the shortest way to the destination and God I pray for those who are in the middle of difficult times who are saying I don't know how to be thankful Lord that you would give them that perspective to do that and again what maybe what would at the beginning be discipline God I pray would become desire over the course of the next few days and weeks God if it has to do with people in their life God, I pray for eyes to see the good things that these people bring to the table and to begin to thank you for the good qualities, the good characteristics, not just to see the negative, but to begin to see this person was created in your image. This person was fearfully and wonderfully made. And although that may be marred by sin, it's not totally destroyed. Begin to thank you, Lord, for who this man, who this woman is, maybe is causing some problems. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If yours is let the word of Christ richly dwell in your heart, have it stand up. That's the thing for you. Perfect. Y'all gather around these guys. Jesus, you said that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. And my prayer for each uh, man and woman who stood up here would be that out of the overflow of their heart, their mouths would speak and would speak words of life. Because what's in their heart are words of life. I pray, Jesus, that you would implant your word deep within their heart. Many of them are, they know the Bible, that's not the issue. But Lord, I pray that you would, it would, the, the words of the kingdom, the words of the gospel would burrow deep within the soil of their heart, take root and produce a 30, 60, 100 fold harvest. That when these people speak, God, I pray there would be a a ring of truth and a ring of authority to what they say because it's not their opinion, it's not their perspective, it's not their experience. It's yours. The people in their life who they're influencing, God, when these guys speak, even if it's just a few words, the force of heaven, I pray, would stand behind them because they're speaking the message of Jesus. It would cut through the chaos and the clutter and the fog that so many people walk through. God, I pray for time to spend with you, that you would open up 
your word and that they would be able to dig in and not just read it, but see how does Isaiah 12 fit with what I'm doing Wednesday at 6 o'clock. God, you begin to make those connections in these hearts. Not just for them, but for the people who they're in relationship with. I pray it in Jesus' name. If you're, whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus, stand up.